what can I do to help them maximize all of their potentials, whether they're obviously strong or not as strong. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Andrew Poudois. Yes, Julie Walker. <laughs> we are on episode 280. That just seems almost unbelievable. I know. Which means that we've been doing this for 280 weeks, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which if we divide by 52 is a lot of years. <laughs> yes, and uh, true confessions, we haven't always been successful in launching a podcast every week. Oh, so we should divide it by... A slightly smaller number. Yeah, maybe. Like 50. Yeah, I think that would be safe, yeah. So that would be five years and 30 weeks. Yeah. No, really? Wow, that seems like a lot of podcasts that we've been doing. It does. And, you know, we just had this little conversation before we hit record, and you said, when will this end? And I said, Andrew, do you want this to end? And you said, I don't know. And I said, people love our podcasts. So, listeners, do you love our podcast? Please let Andrew know. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't go out of your way. Well, I'll just believe her. She's usually right. <laughs> well, 280 is significant in that it's... Ask a, Andrew anything week. It is. We yes. started doing this episode 10, and we've done it every 10 episodes since then. Wow. We've never had the same question twice? With some variations. You know, there are definitely themes going through this. These particular questions, though, came from our online writing conference... So in the year 2020, which was last summer, you were not able to go to any conferences because there weren't any conferences. Right. Because of that, we did an online conference, and we did that for the very first time last year, and we did it again this year in okay. 2021. Gotcha. So these are some questions from that online conference. So if you're interested in seeing that conference, it's an all-day seminar that Andrew did a couple sessions, one all by his lonesome, which he's used to doing. One with me, where we're talking about IEW structure and style, kind of what this approach is. And then Andrew did two workshops with students, an intro workshop, an advanced workshop. And so we'll have a link to this year's online conference. But then what we also did between sessions is we asked questions, or I asked the questions, and Andrew answered them in between the sessions. And so these, Andrew, are some are of the questions. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if they're leftovers, but they're just some that we picked out that we thought would be good on the podcast All as right. well. Well, let's do it. All right. Give me an easy one first. I'm going to read you the first one first. Oh. I'm not going to... And actually, Andrew has not previewed these questions at all. He has no idea what he's asking. But this is a bit unique because I have no idea what I'm asking either. The script was handed to me and off we go. All right. Helen is first. She says, can children who are in high school still be able to be taught how to become great writers if they have never been good writers? 
Well, I, I think the answer is, of course, mm-hmm. anybody can learn anything at any age. Mm-hmm. My teacher, Dr. Suzuki, didn't actually start playing the violin until he was 21 years old. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. And then he went to Germany and studied very hard. And then, of course, he you know, became not a concert musician, mm-hmm. but one of the greatest teachers mm-hmm. in all of history. So the answer is yes, but the qualification is at a certain age, and that can be as young as 12 or 13, almost always by 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. You have to want to. Yeah. N- nobody can make a 17-year-old become good at something. Mm-hmm. The 17-year-old has to want to improve. But why not try? Right. Why not? Uh, and I think we have excellent materials for setting people on that path. And if they learn what we have to offer, and that may take a few years, and continue to practice and then look for other mentors, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, other and, – and those mentors can be dead or alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an alive person can give you honest and direct feedback on what you did, but a, a mentor who has written great stuff, you can study and study and study. Right. As did – and you know one of my favorite examples is Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. So – as an adult, he wanted to become a great orator, a great speaker. And in, in doing that, he had to become a great writer. But what did he do? He studied almost to the point of committing to memory dozens, if not hundreds, of great speeches mm-hmm. that had been given throughout all of history up until his time. Right. So uh, I think the, the question is, also, you know, how can you motivate an older teenager to want to become really good at something? Should I ask you that question? Well, <laughs> you know, the, you, you can't guarantee that. Mm-hmm, right. But how are any of us motivated by anything? Right. Well, well number one, we have an example. Mm-hmm. Right. So we look to someone who is a great athlete or a great artist or a great musician and we say, I want to be more like that. Mm-hmm. I may never be like that. Mm-hmm. But I can make progress in that direction. Mm -hmm. So exposure to excellence Mm -hmm. is critical for motivation. Mm -hmm. Second would be a need, Mm -hmm. right? If if you don't perceive a need, it doesn't matter. I, for example, have zero need, zero desire, and zero intent to ever play tennis. Oh, interesting. I thought you were going to say snowboarding because I know you've done that. Well, snowboarding and golf, they would all fall in that category. So you could surround me with the greatest tennis players ever, and it wouldn't take, right? It wouldn't affect me Mm -hmm. at all. Did you know I played tennis in high school? I think I knew that you (laughs) did a lot of different sports in (laughs) high school. This is true. Um, And I don't pick on tennis because Mm -hmm. it's particularly boring. I just No, it's not boring. It's actually really— I'm just saying, you know, you have to have the need. So you have to have, you know, the mentor who is both— a great example and an encouragement, mm-hmm. and then you have to have some kind of opportunity for application, some kind of need. Um, if this student says, well, what I really want to do in life is be a heavy equipment operator, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is a great career, mm-hmm. and you can make a lot more mm-hmm. money doing that than other things that require college degrees, mm-hmm. there's probably not an internal need. 
But if uh, this person also said, wow, I really want to help people understand the truth about mm-hmm. fill in the blank. Right. Well, then there's a soul-based need. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are some factors. But technically, is it possible? Yep. Absolutely. Very good. Hope that helps, uh, Helen. Tabitha asks, what's your best tip for teaching mixed age groups? Don't know how old the kids are. Oh, there you go. I mean, essentially, if you kind of don't know, mm-hmm. then you're not going to treat any of them differently. Mm-hmm. The, the trick is to kind of treat them all the way you would treat them without having an awareness that, oh, this one is a year older than that one mm-hmm. or vice versa or two years or three years. I really prefer a group of kids where the minimum difference between the oldest and the youngest is about three years Mm -hmm. because that gives a very safe environment for everyone to just be who they are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's not like now we have to, okay, half this class is grade four and half this class is grade five and we're going to treat them differently because of that. Mm -hmm. No. You know, and then if you have an older student who needs maybe a reiteration or more individualized help or a simpler style checklist. Mm -hmm. You can do that, and there's no, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, stigma mm-hmm. involved. Right. Because you would do that for anyone in the room. And if you are honestly ignorant about their ages, mm-hmm. you can treat them as individuals more easily. Right, right. And, of course, if you are not, dear listener, familiar with our Structure and Style for Students video courses, we'll put a link to some free sample lessons in the show notes But this is where Andrew actually taught a mixed age group. Probably, Andrew, the biggest disparity, I'd say disparity in terms of ability was in that level A class. You had some kids that were certainly not comfortable writing at all. And some of them were even struggling with reading. And yet in that same class, within the three-year age span, you were questioning whether or not the student was actually that young. And she was. But then you knew who to call on if, when you needed an answer. <laughs> sure. And, and you, you knew who needed help. Well, and that's part of working it through. But mm-hmm. that, that customizing a challenge within a group mm-hmm. of kids, that's the first step. Mm-hmm. And then the next step is being blind to age. Right, right. To a certain degree. Right. <laughs> Good. Okay, Bailey asks... It's almost the same question. There's a little nuance here. Can I teach my third and fifth grader the same material at the same time? And how long should I expect a lesson to usually take? Well, it's impossible to answer that question for Bailey without knowing more Mm -hmm. about her children. Mm -hmm. If she had come up to me at a convention and asked me that question, I would probably respond by asking her a couple questions. Mm -hmm. One is... How's the reading level? Because for most people, fifth grader and third grader doesn't mean much more than an approximate age. Mm -hmm. You may have a circumstance where you have a younger child, the third grader, for example, who reads almost as well or in some cases better than a sibling who's two years older. In that case, it's easy. You know, yeah, definitely. That would be preferable. Uh, On the other hand, you could have a fifth grader who's reading you know, very well. Sixth, seventh, eighth grade reading level is not uncommon. And a third grader who's still just basically sounding out words and mm-hmm. 
and needs to work it. You know, so that's the hardest challenge. Mm-hmm. And in that case, what I would do is say, teach the fifth grader and just let the third grader sit around and absorb whatever they can, but right. don't have an expectation that they'll do the same amount of work. So I would ask about reading level. Mm-hmm. I would also ask about maybe writing aptitude or interest. Because again, if you had one that's very interested and one and the older one is less, then that's that's an easier situation. Mm-hmm. If the older one is very interested and the younger one is not, then again, I'd say just focus on the older one, give the younger one a little more time to just mature, let them hang around and participate, but don't have the same expectation mm-hmm. for product-wise. Mm-hmm. Right. In terms of amount of time, that is not a question that I ever answer. From my correspondence, I know, there are people who bought the SSS last year when the schools shut down Mm -hmm. around March Mm -hmm. and had the whole thing finished by July, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? This is a 24-week course that they got done in eight weeks? Wow. Well, April, May, June, July, that'd be more like 16 weeks. Okay, okay. But it's still very fast-paced. Yeah, definitely. Right? So I, I know personally of kids who've done that. Is that ideal? Not necessarily, but boy, if you're having fun with it, why not go? Sure, sure. I also have met people who bought the thing right when it came out and still are not finished with year one and are worried about being behind. Behind, yeah. And so really, you know, it's just like anything. You can do it as fast or as slow as you want. There are some limits, Mm -hmm. right? But for the most part, it's how does this fit into your lifestyle? Mm -hmm. How does this fit into your daily schedule? Mm Uh, Are you the kind of family that would do well if you just took one morning and spent, say, two or three hours and just did the whole thing Mm -hmm. and said, okay, we did it. We're done for a week. Or are you the kind of family or you have the kind of class where you're like, we got 35 minutes Mm -hmm. for this thing. And then, okay, we'll do 35 minutes for four or five days or if it takes six or seven. So there's no... There's no need to artificially affix yourself to mm-hmm. someone else's schedule. And then, of course, life happens mm-hmm. and you get a bad week and somebody's sick or you've got a bunch of appointments or you've got mm-hmm. travel. There's just so many things that can derail the schedule, which is why I think for us to put a 24-week course mm-hmm. and hope that for most people that'll fit into a 30-some-week school year mm-hmm. is reasonable. Yep. But even if it even if it doesn't happen. It would be better to do 12 weeks a year and get it done over two years Mm -hmm. than to do, you know, five weeks and say, oh, we're never going to finish this thing on time, so we give up. Right, exactly. And we, in our Structure and Style for Students courses, we have this scheduled, I'm using air quotes here, so that uh, students, teachers generally write four days a week sometimes an hour, sometimes less than that, watching part of the video, sometimes watching the whole video. It just depends on what you did because, of course, when we recorded this, you did one lesson and then the kids went home and did the work on their own. But we give those kind of guidelines four days because we know life kind of happens in a a five-day or six-day-a-week program. And then we also provide as a download on the blue page in the teacher's manual a 
a guideline for classrooms or co-ops that might have a 30-week program. So mm-hmm. here's how you can schedule this for a 30-week program. And that's what our online classes follow. They follow a 30-week schedule, uh, even though we did it for 24 weeks. Yeah. Good. All right. Next question from Mary. She asks, what is the number one thing to be sure you are consistently doing when teaching writing? The number one thing that you are consistently doing when teaching writing. Well, I would like to say creating a circumstance in which people smile and laugh. Mm -hmm. Because if there's elements of humor, if there's a bit of mirth, Mm -hmm. if there's a light-heartedness to it, the whole thing is just going to work better. It's more enjoyable. But that's not a technical thing about teaching writing. It's a thing about teaching in general. It's just, I think, even more important if you're teaching something that could be hard Mm -hmm. uh, or not someone's favorite thing to be doing. Uh, In terms of the technical side, I would probably say follow the program. Right. Trust the system. And and I'm assuming that this question is teaching writing using structure and Mm -hmm. style, Mm -hmm. which is don't get stuck in one of the units for too long, Mm -hmm. march through according to the calendar, and then follow the easy plus one Mm -hmm. uh, so that you're, you're only doing the style techniques which are easy even if that's just one technique, right? until you add in the next one. Mm-hmm. So understanding those two concepts, I think, make it kind of the, the best guarantee we can offer for success. Right. Okay. Sharon says, sometimes I find that my child has written a great paragraph but has left out one of the dress-ups. Should I insist on every one of them? I don't want writing to be too mechanical. Please advise. Mm-hmm. Well, it's always mechanical. Mm -hmm. Any kind of technique is mechanical, whether, again, going back to, say, sports or art or particularly music, there are mechanical elements that are absolutely necessary for the thing to exist. And, And really, you only graduate from attention to those mechanical elements when they have become so natural that you don't have to think about them so much. Right. So, uh, you know, in answering this question, a lot would depend. And again, I would always ask a question back. How long have you been doing this? If the answer is, well, just less than a year, then I would say, don't worry. You're still building the foundation. Uh, The techniques may seem a little mechanical or contrived. But remembering the idea, the goal is not always better writing the goal is to help form a better writer. Mm-hmm. And there will be awkwardness in the process of forming the better writer. And you can't be afraid of the awkwardness that might make the paragraph less than what you would perceive as good. Now, if someone's been at this five years, I might just say, it's probably time to just graduate from the checklist. Mm-hmm. Do what works and don't worry about what doesn't. Go try your wings in, in the, quote, real world. Take an online class. Go take a class at the community college. Go take somebody else's class and then see how well all those things that you've learned can apply to help you there. So, you know, it very much depends on the level of experience and the age of the student. And 
you know, that problem of, okay, left out a dress up. We had a, a teacher that we knew very well for many years, and I haven't talked to her much recently, but she had, I think, a very good idea about this. It was called the left behind list. Mm -hmm. So if a student was writing a composition and they wrote the whole thing and they missed a dress up in one of the paragraphs, this teacher would allow that student to put at the end in a separate condition a sentence that contained the dress up that was not contained in the paragraph that was missing it. And she would allow two of those per composition. So I thought that was that was a reasonable kind of accommodation for a kid who's just like and, and she was teaching mostly high school kids who who just they write it and they just like it. This is this is good and I don't want to have to change it. Okay. Let's figure out how to work with that. And that left behind list I thought was a cute idea. So Sharon, I'm just going to summarize and Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong. Basically, your answer to Sharon is if your child is a young writer or is new to structure and style, yes, they need to include all the dress ups. It is reminding me of your easy plus one rule and that maybe this student, if they left something out, it was because it was too hard. The checklist is Because it was hard. not yet easy. Yeah. 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 And, and Sharon, the writing, as Andrew said, it's not going to be too mechanical. You're learning how to use these techniques but when I think of mechanical, I think of cookie cutter, where everybody sounds the same way, and I promise that yeah. does not happen. Does not happen. Yep. So this question is from, from Lorraine. It's actually not a question. She's just musing. I'm interested to know how Andrew identified the different education needs of his own children. Well, that's just a matter of living with them. And my wife, you know, honestly, she spent a lot more time living with them and doing the schoolwork stuff on a daily basis. And every kid is different. So you look at one and say, you know, here's, here's a high aptitude. How can we cultivate that? Mm -hmm. And here's something this child is a bit resistant to. How can we help them move into that world and be more comfortable and be a little more successful? Um, so... You know, if you have a, a kid, for example, who's really strong in reading and language stuff and kind of doesn't like math all that much, then you would say, okay, what kind of approach to teaching math can we use that allows them to be more successful? Mm -hmm. Because it's really success that creates an aptitude and an affinity. Nobody hates math. You just hate not being able to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, the same thing, vice versa. Somebody's, you know, really mechanically mathematical minded, but they just don't do the reading and writing and spelling and all that. Well, okay, maximize the one and strengthen mm -hmm. the other. Right. Uh, maybe you have a child who's on the shy side mm -hmm. and you say, well, maybe there's opportunity for being in a speech contest or being in a play and try to, you know, give that opportunity without being cruelly forceful. <laughs> right. You know, you will stand on stage in front of a hundred people. Maybe the first year they can just work behind the scenes and help with set design. <laughs> yeah, and all that. But, you know, 
it's definitely part of the great challenge and opportunity of parenting mm-hmm. is to say, I have this child or these children. What can I do to help them maximize all of their potentials, mm-hmm. whether they're obviously strong or not as strong? Good. Thank you. That was helpful. So Jennifer asks, how do I encourage my writers to use a variety of tones in their writing instead of always trying to make a piece humorous? <laughs> well, they might get that from you, Andrew. They seem to have latched onto this with a few classmates sharing their writing pieces that were funny. I don't want to discourage their writing voices, but sometimes it's just not appropriate or it gets old and funny isn't funny anymore. Well, one thing is there's definitely an age range there mm-hmm. where if they can make someone laugh, that is defined as successful. Exactly. Yep. I'm recalling the quote you've heard me say, you know, according to Plato, that which is honored is cultivated. Mm-hmm. So if you are tired of the silly humorous thing, just don't give it any energy, mm-hmm. any energy. Because if you say, well, isn't that a little bit too silly? The kid's going to be, no, it's funny. Mm -hmm. I like it. Mm -hmm. If you totally ignore it, Mm -hmm. then the child's going to be like, well, I guess that didn't work Mm -hmm. this this time. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of a combination. Just let them grow up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about what they're like at 11 years old. Right. They're just going to be goofy. That's just like normal <laughs> for being 11. Mm-hmm. However, if you're working with a group, and, and my feeling was maybe this person is working mm-hmm. as a teacher or a, a co-op mm-hmm. teacher or a tutor of some sort. If you're working with a group, then what you can do is when you're reading the pieces, find what you like mm-hmm. and point that out and say, wow, I just really love how that you know, was so picturesque or, wow, that almost brought tears to my eyes or, wow, you you helped me understand this in a way I never did before. Right. And, and focus on comments like that and not on reading something that everybody's just going to laugh at and then the kid gets to bask in the glow of everybody having laughed at their stupid thing. Right. And there's an important point that you're making that I'm not sure all of our listeners are catching. And that is that you read the papers. You do not have the students read the papers. And this would be a good reason why you read the papers. That way you can emphasize what you believe is to be honored. And if a student is reading their own paper, they're just going to be cracking up. And everybody's going to be laughing at them. So right. just take away that audience yeah, from them. Yeah, take, take it away. The other thing is there have been a few occasions when I have actually spoken privately, mm-hmm. individually, mm-hmm. to a student just to say, you know, something like, I think you're kind of taking this to an extreme. Or I know you can kind of up your game here. A little more maturity would be super. Mm-hmm. And just always kind of look for, you know, I mean, every child in the world, what they want to do is grow up. Mm -hmm. They want two things. They want positive attention and they want to grow up. Right. And so how can we meet those two needs Mm -hmm. in tandem Mm -hmm. and also keep a level of, I wouldn't say seriousness, but a a level of meaningfulness Mm -hmm. in the classroom environment? 
I have one more question, and I know we're almost out of time. It's a long question, but I'm pretty sure you can answer it pretty quickly. Okay. The hardest thing, this is from Jackie. She says, the hardest thing my children struggle with is creating a title in their writing assignment. Your rule is to pick key words from their last sentence. This seems to very much limit them, though I understand it may necessitate them to alter their last sentence. I just don't understand the point of it. It does not seem helpful at all to me as a parent. Please help me understand what I am lacking to get this. Thank you. Well, it's not something to die on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that important. It's Mm -hmm. not, I mean, if someone says, well, I don't like the topic clincher rule, I would argue Mm -hmm. as to why you should enforce that rule. Right. The title rule is meant to be more of a helpful thing Mm -hmm. rather than a legalistic thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it can almost always be done well, but it does perhaps require a little more mental gymnastics. So if you have a good title in mind and you can fit even one word from that title in the last sentence, you follow the rule and it's okay. Yep. It also does work well. And, you know, a lot of the student samples that I have read or that are in the TWSS book, the titles work very well Mm -hmm. because they follow that rule and you hear the word and you hear it again and you're like, ah, sense of completion. Mm -hmm. But it's not a hill, as I said, it's not a hill to die on. It's not that terribly important. And to the degree that it's helpful then I think it's worth yep. using and practicing so yep. that it becomes easier. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, honestly, I've written stuff and said, I'm going to title it this, and I don't care about the last sentence. Hmm. So, Well, Andrew, as always, these Ask Andrew Anything episodes are— <gasps> I'm sure you have more questions there. <laughs> I do, but we're out of time. Oh. But I will uh, invite you, listener, to click on the link in the show notes for our online writing conference— where we hit a bunch of questions, more than we could. And if you have any questions for the Ask Andrew Anything episodes, please do continue to email us at podcast at IEW.com. And and would you do one more thing for us? If you like these episodes, if you like any of our episodes, would you please go to iTunes and just give us a a five-star review or even a four-star review and maybe leave a comment. And that way I can assure Andrew that it's worth continuing these podcasts. I have never gone to iTunes to give a review on my podcast. I suppose I should, huh? (laughs) Have you? (laughs) I've read the reviews and it's really fun. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>